Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. Happy Sunday, week 12, base slate of games to get to today. A little bit different. Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast with no Bills game on this Sunday. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, Tredavious White, obviously the big news of the last couple of days. We'll get into that and so much more. Ryan Talbot has the day off today. So I went to the bullpen and, and we're going to bring in, um, I don't know if I want to call you the closer. I'll probably, I'll probably call you the middle of reliever, uh, John Scott. Spectrum Sports. What's up, buddy? How are you? Good. How are you? This is a, a very odd feeling, right? Not not doing anything on a Sunday. Very odd. And um, what's funny, though, is I, w- I wasn't planning to do the show. And early yesterday morning, as I start to thought, think about like the weekend and putting up any stories, I was like, you know what? Like We should probably put up something on the site with like rooting interests for Sunday. Cause I feel like this kind of time of year, that's what you kind of get to when your team's not playing. And the bills are in the, a log jam of teams in the AFC. I think it's 11 teams within two games of each other. A lot. Uh, I think there's five games uh, to really pay attention to uh, before we get into any of it though, whether you're celebrating at home or away tops, uh, friendly markets has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football, entertaining or any occasion. We're going to get into all those games what we think, um, oh, there we go. We've got a good comment here. John Scott could be the wild thing for Major League. And as a Clevelander, I think you'll appreciate that. Okay, let's start with Tredavious White. Bad news uh, came down on Friday that uh, the injury that he suffered against the New Orleans Saints was a torn ACL looking at a 10 to 12 month rehabilitation to get him uh, back on the field. And so a lot of that is way down the line with Trey himself. Like, you know, we could probably get to more of that as we go along the player that's going to return and all those kinds of things. But I wanted to start with immediate reaction, John, and it's, we've had a couple of days. So, you know, I think people have been spending some time really giving this some thought, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is that now you elevate a very unproven young seventh round draft pick in Dane Jackson into that number two cornerback role. And Levi Wallace, 
really elevates himself into that CB1 role where I feel like it's kind of a, a unique time to happen because uh, he's been the whipping boy for the for for fans for a long time, but he's had himself a really strong season. How much does this injury impact the Super Bowl hopes of the Bills? It's a major impact, I would say. I mean, just think about it. Whenever you look at a matchup for the Bills' defense, especially with how prolific passing offenses are all across the league, it's not really as much of a talking point when it's, you know, half the field or their top target is maybe not going to be neutralized, but it's going to be a heck of a battle because Tredavious White's one of the best cornerbacks in football, so he can go toe-to-toe and has with the best wide receivers in football. Now I think it's a huge ripple effect. It's not just a, well, how will Dane Jackson replace him? It's, to your point, Levi Wallace now has to take on the test of maybe facing the better wide receivers at times. Maybe they just stay on left side, right side of the field, and that means Dane Jackson at times is going to have to face the number one wide receiver. I think ultimately, while the entire defense is going to have to pick up the slack, pass rush, I would say, I think in a secondary role, it's going to be Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer who maybe have to alter the way they do things and are implored by Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott to kind of make up for the luxury that is now missing, that is Tredavious White. One of the things that I think that it does, first and foremost, when you're looking at game planning every week, is that Trey, for since he's been here, has locked down one side of the field, right? Like there's only a handful of corners in the league that kind of get that treatment where opposing quarterbacks really caution against going at certain guys. I think Trey, Trey falls into that category, even though he's a guy that plays in his own scheme where, you know, depending on the matchups, he might not even be on the opposing team's best wide receiver some at some times. But I think what getting Dane Jackson into the mix is going to do is open up things for Leslie Frazier and this defense in terms of ball seeking. And I think one of the things with uh, Dane Jackson, what, what I've liked about him so much over the last two years is when he's got an opportunity to play, he's he's had kind of a penchant to make big plays, get his hat on the ball. He's a good tackler, pretty good in coverage. If he's going to get tested a lot, especially early on, if he can kind of set a tone in a way, I think that, well, it's never going to be a good thing. Like I tweeted this out the other day, like there is no replacing Tredavious White. But I think because of the talent around Dane Jackson and Levi Wallace in the secondary, Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds at that second level, it's going to come down to can this pass rush, which I think we've been talking about since the beginning of the season. Can they finally live up to kind of the money that's being spent on that defensive line and carry this defense? They're going to have to start to do it. And we saw Ed Oliver have a pretty, pretty good game uh, against the Saints. But I feel like we're going to have to see more of that and from more players on the defensive line. Absolutely. And even when Tredavious has been out there, you hear whether it's Leslie Frazier, the player, Sean McDermott, reference how the secondary can help the pass rush and the pass rush can help the secondary. They kind of play off of each other. And it makes sense if the quarterback doesn't have as much time, the back end doesn't have to do their job as long and stay in coverage. And if they are able to hold guys in coverage longer that allows more time for the pass rush. You have to imagine, and this isn't a slight on Dane Jackson or Levi Wallace, they're not going to be able to hold coverage as long as a guy like Tredavious White can. So to your point, this pass pass rush is going to need to elevate. They're going to need to produce more pressure and do it more consistently. It was good to see what they did against the Saints, particularly with that Oliver. I think Mario Addison has, in a reduced role, 
really played well this season, leads the team in sacks. But that's where you need to see more things from Vanessa Hughes. You need to see whenever F.A. Obata gets an opportunity, if Boogie Basham ever gets an opportunity, you need to see the other guys on that line. And then when Starla Tulele comes back, that slots some of the interior guys in a different spot as well. Collectively, that group needs to play more so like they did at the beginning of the season than they did Thursday night. And if they play more like they have for the majority of the middle portion of this season so far, I think it's going to cause trouble throughout the defense because you can't rely on that back end to do what they do with a guy like Tredavious White. And again, I think you can do things with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde when you have a guy like Tredavious manning half of the field that now you probably won't be able to do as well. Some questions uh, popping up in the chat about, uh, you know, what what the depth chart is going to look like now. And I think the guy that really pops for me behind Dane Jackson and uh, Levi Wallace right away is Cam Lewis, a guy that they that's been in the system for three years. He played on the outside primarily in 2019 as a rookie, uh, had the injury uh, and has ended up had has ended up playing on the practice squad the last two years. When he played this year, he was in the slot, but I think they have, he's the kind of guy, he's the kind of guy that has position versatility. They can kind of put him anywhere. They have Saran Neal, who's the guy that they like to play as that big nickel player, but he's also played on the outside as well. I think he's in the mix there in that depth role. Do you see, uh, like a Nick McLeod or Griffin, uh, the, the kid from USC? Do you think one of those two can be in the mix for a roster spot or do you think they go outside? Uh, of the roster and try to bring somebody in. I know Quentin Dunbar is the guy that keeps getting brought up. I suppose anything is necessary. Again, you bring in COVID into into account, and also, I mean, we're we're late and later in the season. So to bring a guy in the mix this late in the season, um, it may be a little challenging. But I think you only bring a guy from the outside in if you don't have faith in Dane Jackson. I mean that that would be it. And I think they're lack of making a move and bringing in a veteran over the off season shows the confidence that they had not only Levi Wallace, but in Dane Jackson and the depth they have on this team. They didn't feel the need to go grab a Josh Norman type player, a veteran cornerback like they've done so often in the past. So I, I think maybe if a couple games go through and Dane Jackson looks like he's really struggling out there, then yeah, I think they address it. But I think in the immediate timeline here I think they're going to roll with what they got because they've already shown by the lack of moves that they have confidence and I agree Dane or Cam Lewis if Dane Jackson struggles I I don't think that they necessarily would scoff at the idea of maybe giving him some run and and if Dane is struggling or something like that but I think just everybody kind of slots up and and maybe the young guys McLeod and Griffin maybe they they wind up one of them winds up on the active roster maybe um they have some pretty good depth there, and and we'll just see. I think they're just going to get tested. And what's interesting is you may not think that they're going to get super tested against New England because they're a run-first power team. Then a week later against the Bucs is, is when you're really going to find out uh, what these guys could do in this new role that they have without Tredavious White. And we're going to talk about the Patriots in a minute, but I do think that even though they don't threaten you down the field, they do make their they do make opposing defensive backs come up and play and tackle. And I think that if you're having an off day and they like one of the things I wrote about this offseason about Levi Wallace and Dane Jackson, that that competition going into camp was that both of those guys excelled as tacklers. And that's one of the reasons why this team liked both of them so much and why I think that they'll have confidence in Dane Jackson at the start. I think Nick McLeod's a guy that they like. He was in Cincinnati for a little bit. Uh, they plucked him off the Bills practice squad. And uh, obviously, Elijah Griffin's been here from the start. 
uh, going through practice and so on and so forth. So I think either got either of those guys are a possibility. Let's shift gears for a minute before we get into the slate uh, today and talk about some matchups that Bills fans should be watching. We talked about the defensive line. We talked about Dane Jackson. I think the most pressure now shifts onto the shoulders of Josh Allen. And I think that this is an offense on any given week that's got to go in expecting or at least go in with the mentality that, okay, we got to put up 30. That's that's the team that we've been. We've been at or around 30 points all season long when it comes to winning games in the playoffs. I think we need to see a more consistent Bills offense no matter where they finish. And I think that this might have been kind of the springboard to getting this offense to maybe figure things out a little bit quicker because of now there's no wiggle room. The identity of this team no longer can be as def- its defense without the best player on the defense in Travis White. I agree. And let's be real. If they were going to truly be a Super Bowl contender offense they were a year ago, they need to be that productive and carry the load that way. And they really haven't been to this point. And maybe to your point, this loss is now going to put enough of the onus on them. And they realize that to maybe get the motor running more consistently and better. They still need to work on the turnovers as, as well as Josh played Thursday night. He had the two picks. Of course, the one really wasn't his fault because he got hit. But the first one, whether it was miscommunication or what, I mean, he just is turning the ball over at a far greater rate than he than he really ever has over the past two seasons now. Um, and I agree. I mean, they're going to have to be the, the thing that runs. Do I think the defense is just going to go off a ledge because Tredavious White is out? No, I don't think that. I think there's so many talented players on that side of the ball that they're just not going to fall off. But you just are, to your point, losing the best player out there at a premium position like cornerback, it is going to have an effect. They're going to be a different a difference, and they're not going to be as good. So I agree. The, the offense has always needed to be the thing that drives this ship, and now even more so with Tredavious White out. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. From hot to go pizza, breakfast pizza, an appetizer, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, to delicious salads and brownie trays. Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. One of the things that Josh said recently jumped out at me. And I think he said it on two occasions where he basically said, listen, we don't need to be the best team in the NFL every week. We just feel like we need to be the best team on the field that's playing on any given day that we go out there and play something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing to me that that kind of just felt funny when he said it. And with considering all of the struggles that the Bills offense, the Bills have had at times in stretches this year. You know, you look to Sean McDermott at times coaching uh, a little conservatively, I think this season, you know, settling for field goals, just poor clock management, the penalties, so on and so forth. I almost feel like that those struggles, the issues that I've had with some of those things combined with that attitude. I don't know. It's, it's never, it's never lined up to me with the Josh Allen that we heard at times last year talking about the Mamba m- mentality and going out and attacking defenses and wanting to be the guy in, 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 the, in the fourth quarter where your team can rely on you to make big time plays. And like, I feel like we're so far past like Josh Allen, you know, sugar high Josh, right? Like that, that shouldn't be a part of the equation anymore, even though it's always going to kind of be a part of it. I want to see a Josh Allen at this point as comfortable as he is 
as he can be in his skin in this offense with the players around him. Go out there and look to attack. No fourth quarter comebacks this year. No game winning drives. It's almost seemed like a very passive approach to this offense. And I think that's one of the things I'm looking at more than ever that I want to see kind of shift a little bit. And maybe it started against the Saints. I mean, there was some there were some bad periods there in the second in the second quarter where it seemed like the lulls were creeping in again. And then obviously Josh Allen finishes with four touchdown passes. But against some of these defenses they're gonna be facing coming up here, you're gonna need the mama mentality. Josh Allen. I think he still has it. Maybe he's just not as vocal. I I more so agree with it seems not as much of an attacking style offense that was so, so good a year ago. There's moments where it's second and nine on Thursday and they're calling a run play to set up the third and long to open the second half. And you're thinking, why, what is happening? This is not, this is not the style of offense, especially understanding and knowing how pedestrian the run game has been throughout this season. I I agree. I don't need them to throw necessarily 85, 90% of the time like they did a year ago, but there just don't seem to be in an attack mode all the time. There are moments like the first drive against the Saints when it's scripted, where they were doing everything that they do when they are at their best, whether it's you're getting motion uh, from the play calling, Josh is using his legs, he's feeding digs, the running game is is doing what they're supposed to when called upon, but you don't see that consistently. They don't do up-tempo nearly as much as they used to do. I agree with you that I don't necessarily think it's necessarily Josh is a little more passive or, or lacking the fire or not embracing the challenge as much. I just think for whatever reason, this offense as a whole does not seem to have the edge and the firepower, and they're not using the firepower, I should say, as they did a year ago. And I think that's the thing that's the thing that's missing to make us with the eye test say, all right, this offense can carry the load with or without Tredavious White. All right, let's uh, shift gears here. Uh, we're about 15 minutes away from the one o'clock games kicking off. And one of the reasons I wanted to do the show today was talk about a few of these games. I think I've I've you know, earmarked five of them that have direct implications uh, on the bills here moving forward. And, you know, there's a couple big ones, you know, Indianapolis is playing Tampa Bay. You kind of just want Indianapolis to, to lose because they have the win in hand against the bills. But the game of the day to me is the new England Patriots against Tennessee Titans. And it's, it's kind of created some conversation on social media around what should bills fans be hoping for here. On one hand, you have, you know, the division, which, you know, the bills are in the thick of a division race now with the new England Patriots. They went above them once again in the standings with the winner against new Orleans, but the Patriots will pop right back in front of them. They're able to beat the Titans today. And then you have the Titans sitting at eight and three, a game up on the bills. And the number one seed is is still within play. I mean, we have a Tennessee Titans team right now without Derrick Henry, without Julio Jones. We just found out that A.J. Brown has been put on injured reserve. He's going to miss the next three games. So it's a situation where, you know, Tennessee is dealing with injuries. Their schedule is really easy. But if you can have a, a, a situation where, you know, they can suffer a loss right now this week to give them that fourth loss, kind of bring them uh, right in line with the Bills. I think that you take that if you're a Bills fan because you know you control a bit of your own destiny. You play the New England Patriots twice more this season, starting with a Monday night football game in eight days. Where do you land on this? I'm in wholehearted agreement with you. Because you play the Patriots twice, you can handle your business and control the division in those matchups there. So 
I agree. The one seed has always been, I think, their number one goal. And the only way you're going to do that, because you got to get two games on Tennessee because they have the tiebreaker. So getting a loss now and then being able to play New England and get in front of them in your next game, I, I, that's why I said I said on our podcast that I, I think as much as uh, it may be painful to do, you got to root for Belichick and company today. Yeah, and you know, you look at Tennessee's remaining games. They're at New England versus Jacksonville, at Pittsburgh versus the 49ers versus Miami, and then at Houston. I mean, there's a lot of winnable games, even with the struggles that they're having on offense right now with the guys that are out of the mix. So, I mean, if you could collect that one right now, I think it it's something that you root for. And also, like, when did this shift become that Bill's mafia is all of a sudden afraid of Mac Jones in this iteration of the new England Patriots. Like, I don't feel like enough has happened yet to where the pendulum should have shifted like five years ago. Of course, like everybody that could beat new England all the time with Tom Brady, that's what you root for because of, of the dynasty. And this is not a dynasty. This is a really good defense. You're going to have to game plan to beat them, but this is an offense that I think even without Tredavious white, you should still be able to impact this game against Mac Jones, a rookie quarterback. I don't think that they're a team to be feared necessarily. And I almost feel like there's a portion, small portion of bills fans that have this lingering um, anxiety about just Patriots, uh, just the Patriots in general. Yeah, they, they do. And it's amazing. The ebbs and flows of the team have made the fan base lose confidence in this team. I mean, a couple weeks ago after they lost, or not even a couple weeks ago, shoot, a week ago, I put out a poll on Twitter after the Colts game asking if people were worried that this team wouldn't even make the playoffs. And mm-hmm. 68% said yes. And to me, I, I understand that that was a really, really bad game, the worst one they've had all year. But I wasn't that far off the ledge, but people are. And I agree. I think the aura of the New England Patriots past is still lurking there, and it's a fine New England team. It's fine. I'm not as low on Mac Jones as some people. I'm not as critical to the fact that he's not slinging it down the field and throwing for 350 like Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and, and other young quarterbacks have in their first year. I think he is doing what is asked of him and doing it very well. And he has the capability at times to, to throw the ball down the field, even though he doesn't do it often at all. So I, they're a formidable opponent, but the Bills are still the better team. And ultimately, they're going to have to prove that. But I'm not worried about the New England Patriots yet. We'll find out in eight days if I'm wrong. Yeah, and, and listen, either way that you, you you carve this up, there's not a real bad result in a game like this where you kind of you'll take a loss by either of these teams moving forward. I just think that the New England Patriots have a much more difficult sh- schedule, even outside of the Bills. They still have to play the Colts, the Bills a couple times, a divisional game against a Miami team that already beat them earlier in the season. And it's in Miami where historically New England struggles when they go down there to play them. So I just think it'll be interesting to see how all of this plays out. I think Brian Flores will be coaching for his job at that point late in the season, depending on what's going on with Tua. So there's a lot of factors where I think – You'd almost hope that. But then with all that said, a a New England Patriots loss today might just not be possible with how banged up this Tennessee offense is. Yeah, it it would be. This season across the league has has been really interesting because I think parity is maybe, I can't remember it being so widespread. I mean, the league is so even top to bottom. Really, it's not just the AFC, it's the NFC as well. And you've seen some 
Jacksonville wins over the Bills type games for many other of the best teams around the league. Tampa's had some bad losses. Baltimore, Kansas City. I mean, a lot of these teams have have struggled against and lost games that they quote-unquote should have won. So for me, New England, if they beat Tennessee, it's just more about, all right, they're actually a team that, that is able and capable to take care of business against a team they're supposed to beat. And that's where it is because I think we've maybe taken for granted that has not been the case an easy week at all for most teams around the league. They, they just There's been a lot of really funky wins, and uh, the Bills have been on the other side of that a couple times. And, uh, you know, let's see if New England can, can handle their business against the Titans. Uh, but I'm not going to say it's a, it's a foregone conclusion, but they definitely should. I think the, this Patriots game looming in eight days is, you know, I, I wrote about the Bills being at a crossroad before the Saints game. And I, I don't think I really considered how bad that Saints offense was going to be without Kamara and, you know, Trevor Simeon, who just, we we were there, we watched it. It's, it was their bad offensive football team. And so that was almost a gimme. Uh, and I know that, you know, they played Jacksonville earlier in the season. So I guess there's never any gimmies, but to me, the crossroads almost, you know, skips a week to next week and it continues to kind of be that same narrative. I I know they got right in a lot of ways. I know they're going to get healthy in a lot of ways before this Patriots game, but this is a huge game national stage playing the Patriots, a team that really in a lot of ways, I've seen some crazy stats. I'll have more of it on the, on the shows this, this upcoming week, but like the similarities between the bills and the Patriots, I mean, defensively, you know, the, 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 the points they're allowing per game, the yards, the big plays, the, all the kind of big time measurables. This is a very, very similar team. And obviously the Bills should be better offensively. But I, I still think, I mean, this is going to, we're having, we're going to have to see it before I believe it because you know, there's been so many ups and downs for this team so far. We've been asking ourselves for most of the season, who is this Bills team? Who are they? And I think that's where a lot of people were after the Colts game was I saw a lot of people saying they're almost frauds or, they just beat up on bad teams and they can't beat the playoff caliber teams with Kansas City notwithstanding. And this is their latest opportunity to, to answer that question. Who is this team? Is this the team that they're the new top dog in the division? Is this the team that rightfully so from the very beginning of the season was looked at as a Super Bowl contender with an MVP caliber quarterback or is just this the same old Bills, a team that can't handle the expectations and still cannot overcome the New England Patriots. That, to me, is the storyline I'm looking at heading into that Monday night football game is who are the Bills and can they answer that question on the national stage against a team that has owned them for the past two decades. But last season, you showed this is now our division. Is it a one-season deal? Or can you handle the challenge that the New England Patriots and this new version of them bring? So the other two games, uh, I mentioned the Colts uh, play against the Bucs. That's that one's easy. You know, you're rooting against the, the Colts in that one. The six and four Chargers go up against the five and five Denver Broncos. I'd argue that you probably want to pull for the Denver Broncos, who, by the way, have a killer end of the season schedule. They, they still got two games against the Chiefs. Uh, Detroit's a gimme, but Cincinnati, Las Vegas, and another one against the Chargers. You know, the more losses that you can get for this Chargers team that I think has, you know, a, a team that I feel like has some pieces that if they get, uh, you know, hot and then they get high enough in, in the race here, 
uh, they could be a potential problem down the line, especially if you're chasing the one scene. You want to try to keep them down as much as possible. So I'd go for the Broncos. What do you think in terms of the Pittsburgh Steelers, 5-4-1 and one, at the Cincinnati Bengals, 6-4? and four. The Bills obviously already lost to the Steelers this year. Yeah, I assume you'd probably want Cincinnati. You just don't want to bring any sort of a tiebreaker with the Steelers into the mix. Although I guess with a tie, you probably would never have a tiebreaker. But you need to, all the teams you lost to, want, you want them to go as far down. You want to keep them below the Bills here. And Cincinnati would be a fascinating matchup. Um, they got a good running game. They got a good quarterback. Yeah, it's just it's what's also crazy is wrapping your head around 17 games. So you're looking at these teams that have played 11 games and you're like, oh, that's right. There's still a bunch of games left. Sometimes I forget mm-hmm. that um, in regards to how this is all still plenty of time to shake out. Um, so, yeah, I I would probably go with Cincinnati. Um, and I think that they're the better team than the Steelers. I don't care if they're five, four and one. I don't care if they beat the Bills. I just have been really low on the Steelers since before the season even began. Um, I think Mike Tomlin is just an unbelievable coach, and somehow he gets that team, regardless of how their quarterback or offense is playing or who's hurt and whatnot. He just is this magician and able to get that team to play well. Um, But the Bengals are an interesting team. I I think they take it from the Steelers, and I think, again, any of the teams the Bills have lost to, you want them going down the standings and keep them below the Bills. The the last game we're going to talk about, the, the night game tonight, the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens. Check this out. Here's the top five toughest strength of schedules remaining for uh, in the NFL. Cleveland Browns have the toughest schedule left. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers, number two. Baltimore Ravens, number three. Cincinnati Bengals, number four. And the Chiefs, number five. So if you're a Bills fan, you are loving this because teams are going to, in the AFC, that are kind of you know, jockeying for position. They're going to be beating up on each other pretty regularly. Cleveland against Baltimore. I feel like these are always physical, physical games, you know, uh, better than most growing up in Cleveland. And, you know, the the Baltimore Ravens get Lamar Jackson back uh, this week, but I don't necessarily know that this is, you know, going to be a pushover uh, for the Baltimore Ravens. This is a, a, this is a game here with the Cleveland Browns. Their season's on the line. So I think obviously the Bills are are hoping that Baker Mayfield and and the boys can uh, pull off the upset. Well, it shouldn't be Baker Mayfield dictating whether or not they win this game. They get Kareem Hunt back. It should be a heavy dose of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. That's when that team is at their best. What's going to be the key here is what version of the Browns defense shows up. They have so much talent. Miles Garrett, arguably defensive player of the year. But just they're so inconsistent. I mean, you talk about New England. I, I was watching that game a few weeks ago. And it was an embarrassment. I mean, Mac Jones and the run game and everything New England wanted to do offensively, they did. And they just absolutely smoked them. And there's too much talent on that bill on that Browns defense for them to be allowing 40 plus points to anyone. Nonetheless, the New England Patriots offense that isn't really built and to score 40 plus points a game. Uh, So I think that's what it's going to come down to. How does the Browns defense respond and handle Lamar Jackson in a somewhat revamped because of injuries philosophy for the Ravens offense? They throw the ball a lot more now that they've lost like three, four running backs to injuries from all the way early in the season. Lamar Jackson, I think, is, is silencing some of the critics in regards to those who said all he can do is run. I think he's been playing pretty well this season. Uh, it'll be a really good game. If if the Browns' defense can do what they need to do and, and they run the ball effectively, which I think that they should be able to do, I think Cleveland can pull off the upset. And again, 
with Baltimore right ahead of the Bills, it, that's what a Bills fan would want. It's going to be fun, man. I can't wait to watch, sit back for a change on a Sunday afternoon. Watch, uh, I got the Red Zone channel up on the laptop. Got flipping back and forth between the two games on TV. I'm super excited to watch it all. Huge shout out to John Scott, Spectrum Sports Buffalo, uh, their Bills reporter, uh, joining us. So you can check out his show. Uh, when does it air and where can people find it and where can people find you on social media? So the Buffalo End Zone podcast, it, uh, we do it once in the middle of the week. Usually it, it is published Thursday morning for a traditional Sunday game. This week it'll come out on Friday because it's a Monday night game. You can watch it on Facebook Live the night before when we're actually taping it. And then our post-game show, Buffalo End Zone, is live immediately after each and every Bills game, whether it's a traditional one o'clock or we go till the midnight oil here for these primetime games. <laughs> and we have uh, the, the live stuff, uh, post-game interviews and stuff like that. WGR 550, Sal Capaccio joins me as well, along with Kevin Carroll. So uh, we get you ready with the Facebook Live podcast throughout the week. We tape an episode after games. Uh, and then we got the post-game show as well. Um, and you could follow me on Twitter at John Scott TV. Beautiful. Thank you again, my friend. If you're hosting a large party this weekend, make sure you check out Tops' huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, visit their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. Hit that like button, subscribe to the Buffalo Bills on NY Up channel. We will see you next week. We'll have a couple of shows taking you all the way up until Monday Night Football. Big couple weeks of football coming up for the Bills. For John Scott, I'm Matt Perino. See you then. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.